Hello, I'm here with Maddie from At Blossoming with Bipolar. Maddie, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So I, I have my blog, Blossoming with Bipolar, and that is because I have a diagnosis of bipolar one disorder. I was diagnosed when I was 14 and now I am 23. A little bit more about myself. I, I live in Vancouver, BC. I have a really cute cat and I work for a mental health organization. It's called the Stigma Free Society. It's a charity. And yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> that answered a little bit of my first question. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about this diagnosis and what type one bipolar is? Yes, definitely. So bipolar type one is a mood disorder that affects your mood, obviously, according to the name. Um, and it, what happens is you have these extremes ups and extreme downs. Uh, the, the down is called depression and then the up is called mania or hypomania. And my personal diagnosis, as I mentioned before, I was diagnosed when I was 14, which is pretty young to be diagnosed. Like usually people don't get diagnosed till at least like their, their 20s. So in that way, I was lucky because I was able to figure out what was happening early on. Um, yeah. So that's bipolar. <laughs> I can go into a little bit more. I, I can go into a little um, bit Is more. it hyper hypo? Hypo. Like hypo. Can you tell me a little bit more about what the hypomania is? Yes, definitely. Uh, so yeah, so you've probably heard of there's hypomania and then there's mania. So hypomania is when you experience a, uh, an increase of, of energy. Uh, you feel like you have endless energy. You don't need to sleep as much. You <laughs> eating, uh, yeah. your, your talking becomes very fast. Uh, so it's noticeable to other people, uh, but hypomania is, it's a less intense version of mania. Uh, in hypomania, you still experience like an impulsive behaviors and yeah. you really don't feel like yourself. Like a lot of the time after being hypomanic, I don't really, it's pretty blurry. I don't really remember all the details of what was happening during that time. But hypomania, or sorry, <laughs> mania is, is a really intense version of that where it just, it gets exaggerated like times a hundred yeah. and your energy is just so much and you're working on all these different projects, but you don't finish them. And some people can experience a break from reality, which is called psychosis. I haven't personally experienced that, but it is when you... Uh, you can't tell what is real and what isn't real, but a lot of people do experience that when they experience mania. For me, the way that my bipolar manifests is that before I was diagnosed, so before I was on mood stabilizing medication, I would have uh, two weeks of depression and then two mm -hmm. weeks of hypomania. So it was called rapid cycling. It was, it was very fast, right? It was two weeks depression, like really yeah depression and then two weeks of hypomania I only experienced one manic episode and it was right before my diagnosis it was because I was misdiagnosed with anxiety and depression which is true I was experiencing <laughs> yeah um, but I was given an antidepressant that then triggered a full-on manic episode yep 
And yeah, I really don't remember very much about what happened during that time, but I ended up in the hospital, thank goodness. And that is when I was diagnosed and I was very relieved to get the diagnosis because I had a very, very hard year before that when everything was going on. So, so yeah, in the end, it was a positive thing that I got diagnosed. I think that's a really great and thorough answer. I think even myself, like I've put research into this and there's so many different gray areas about what is like a disorder and what isn't. And I think that was a really good answer. Um, You also mentioned that other people, uh, they can notice when you're going through this. Do you notice yourself or like, what does that feel like for you? Yes. Yeah, so before I was diagnosed, uh, what, what started to happen, it was when I was in grade nine and I did feel different. I, I knew that there was something going on, but I wasn't aware. I wasn't, especially during the hypomanic phase, I, you, you're not really aware how that you're acting very differently. Um, but now that I've been through that and I'm on the other side of it and I'm stable, yeah. I can definitely feel in my body. Like for example, if I don't get enough sleep one night, um, that can have an effect. I just start to feel a little bit more anxious, uh, kind of, you know, it's hard for me to focus. I have this just feeling in my body and I can tell like, okay, I feel a little bit yeah. like elevated. And then there's things I can do coping mechanisms where I can you know, bring myself down. Like I won't drink caffeine that day, or I'll make sure I get a really good sleep the next night. And usually I can like nip it in the bud. Yeah. <laughs> But so I'm so, gathering that you're pretty good at taking care of yourself with this diagnosis. Yeah, you know, it's been like about 10 years. And so yeah. I really have, I have gotten pretty good at, at dealing with it. I do, though, I experience, uh, I don't experience hypomania, like I haven't experienced that for a long time. But I do experience depression. Yeah. On the, regular basis like I've been doing re- really well lately uh woohoo but um, <laughs> for example I went through like a really long period of depression uh, and it can get really really bad like as bad as it was pre-diagnosis and and that can happen like even if you're on you know um, a mood stabilizing medication and stuff yeah. like those can those periods or episodes can still happen I find it interesting that different disorders can share similar qualities and be totally different because with my ADHD, I experience hyperfocus. And so I'll find myself excited and working on 15 different projects at the same time. And most of the time I can work on those projects for hours on end. I'll forget to eat. It's like nothing else matters. And then I'll just drop that project and it's like nothing. Do you ever find that you would enjoy that state that you're in or... Yeah, you know, when I was in the hypomanic state, I, it, it is kind of, an, it was enjoyable to a certain yeah. extent. Um, maybe you can understand because it's like, oh, I'm getting a lot done. Like you're, you're just uh, like a feeling of like motivation, like, yeah, yeah. Like I would exercise a lot. Um, but what was interesting is it would feel good because in contrast to the depression that I experienced every two weeks, that was like overwhelming, excruciating, you know, can't get out of bed type depression. Yeah. Compared to that, it felt really good. But um, I can see why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. But when you look back on it, uh, you, 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 
you can feel embarrassed sometimes because you realize that you were, you know, not really acting normal with air yeah. because uh, you, you, you become over social and, and that people just notice your different behavior. So would you say that you have like a lot more confidence when you're going through the mania? Yeah, though it's definitely like an overconfident type. Overconfident, thing. okay. So yeah. you mentioned that this was a lot, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, you mentioned that this was a lot different from when you were 14 and first getting the diagnosis than now. Would you say that this is still something that affects your daily life? Um, I think this podcast is just a lot about learning about what this is and how you can find success living with a mental illness. Yeah, so it does still affect me on a daily basis in the way that I I have to be very aware. I, I am very self-aware and I have to just make sure I'm taking care of myself. And the goal of, you know, living with bipolar disorder is not to cure the illness because it can't be cured, right? I'm yeah. Going- ever but there is a way to achieve stability you know to a certain extent um i i consider myself stable but again i still experience periods of depression on a daily basis i still experience anxiety i also yeah, have for sure yeah i also have a diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder on top of the bipolar yeah and um, that's something that we have in common is the generalized anxiety disorder yeah. And I agree with what you said a lot. I find that I see a lot of different accounts on Instagram and stuff where it's about how to cure your mental illness, how to make it go away. But I, for one, like I'm totally on the same page as you where I believe in coexisting with it. And how can you have something like this and still feel happy and maintain successful relationships and in the workplace? And I totally agree with what you said about coexisting with it. Definitely. But that's the goal, right? Is it can't go away, but you can learn to coexist and and work towards acceptance. And yeah, that's all we can do. (laughs) Can you explain a little bit of the difference between type one and type two bipolar? Yes. So yes, (laughs) yes, I can. So bipolar one is what I have. And it is when uh, you experience the ups and downs. So the the depression, but to have type one, you have to have had at least one manic episode. So full on manic episode that lasts at least a week. And okay. then bipolar two disorder, you, you have hypomania and the depressive period um, that lasts at least 14 days, but you don't experience a full on manic episode. Okay. Yeah. So it's, you know, and everyone experiences it very differently, right? Like not everyone exactly follows that definition, but that's the general difference. And what does your idea of success coexisting with a bipolar diagnosis look like to you? So success living with a bipolar diagnosis. Like this could be in your relationships. This could be with how happy you are. Yeah. So to me, success when living with a bipolar diagnosis, it looks like being able to do all the things that I love. And oh. if I can do all the things that I love, then for me, that is success. Obviously, you know, there's more traditional definitions of success, like, you know, your job and education and stuff like yeah. that. And I, I am happy 
that I have been able to go to university and I am able to have a stable job. Um, but for me, it's more than that. I really aim to have not just a stable life, but to mm-hmm. have a life with meaning. So a life that's f- more fulfilling. And uh, that's kind of one of the reasons why I started my blog is to start just getting my ideas yeah. out and trying to add a little bit more meaning to my life. Uh, Has there been a point in your life where you're worried that you couldn't have more of these personal successes? Yeah, yeah, there there have been times. um, But when I was first diagnosed, you know, I was very young and I had just gone through this horrible year and I didn't really know what my life would look like. It felt like everything changed And in a way, everything did change, but so I was scared. Yes, I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to keep doing all the things I love. Like when I was in in school and grade school, I was very involved with a lot of things. Like I, I was very busy. I was in choir and dance and I did a lot of volunteer work and stuff like that. And so I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to do that. Um, And then there were periods of time in university and that's when my anxiety got a lot worse. And that's when my, I got diagnosed with the anxiety disorder, the generalized anxiety disorder. And during those times when I was in university and it was like, it was hard, right? I was trying Mm -hmm. to get through, but I mean, every time I managed to get back up and I managed to get my degree. So even though I I had women, Yeah, like I did have fear. And, but I think definitely other people who first get diagnosed, it's important for them to know that it is possible to, to accomplish what you want to accomplish. It just might be a little harder. (laughs) Well, I feel like that's a big thing itself, just because even when you mentioned you were diagnosed when you're 14, I remember that before I was diagnosed with all of my different diagnoses, um, if that's even the word for it. I was also very busy. So I was in all the sports teams. I was like hugely into art. I was pretty much an overachiever. And then when I got diagnosed and I was going through my hard time, I didn't go back to school. I didn't think that all of these things were possible to be successful with. So that's why I'm so interested in the idea of coexisting with mental illness. So I definitely like that you talked about it that way. And we've talked before and you've mentioned a little bit about how a lot of these times your hard moments happened with change. Would you say that this has like triggered this for you or anything like that? Yeah. So, so big life changes definitely have a huge effect on the mental health. So at the beginning of grade nine, leading into grade nine, there were a lot of changes happening in my life and you know, my doctors have tried to figure out like, okay, why did your bipolar get triggered? Like at that time, like what was happening? And um, like, it was going to get triggered eventually. Right. But I, yeah, there, I was, there were things going on in my family. There were um, people were having like serious health issues. And as I started to act differently and I started to experience the depression first, that's what I had first, you know, it was related to my grandparents, but then it was also, you know, it was a lot, it was more than just sad, right? It was the depression. And once that started to happen, I, 
you know, I started to not be my usual happy, energetic self. Yeah. And I was a little bit more maybe irritable. I was, I was, you know, I was, didn't know how to deal with the emotions that were going on. That's and- usually how I express mine too, with a lot of irritation. Like this morning, yeah. just preparing for the podcast, I was like, nobody talked to me, nobody come in my space. Like, I just like, if anybody even breathed in my direction, I was like, you're cut off. Like, no. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, the other big change that was triggered at that time was that I, like my friends that I had at the time, mm-hmm. they, they basically like cut me off. So, uh, they basically just like sat me down one day and they were like, they sat you down. Yeah. Like in the hallway. <laughs> That's so official. You know, I picture it in my head and they were just like, we don't want to be friends anymore. And it's because I was starting to deal with things that they didn't understand and I can have compassion for them because they didn't know how to support me. Yeah. And in the end, like it, that's okay. Like I've, I've, you know, I've forgiven every, everyone. And it's it, in the end, I like, I'm happy that I found other, other friends and not. Yeah. I can relate to that a little bit. I remember when I was in high school, I had one friend that stuck around, but that's because she had mental health issues herself. So she could understand that. But a lot of my friends, because I had a group of about eight different girls and then they just like slowly, they didn't sit me down. It wasn't anything that official. They just like slowly pushed me out. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was um, because they, those were like my closest friends and yeah, like before all this happened, like I was, I was very social. Like I, I, yeah. a good group of friends like I, <laughs> I was good and um um so what happened when like after they left it was also like all of the you know those like acquaintance friends too yes like, all part of the group like they're not as close they also kind of went away um so that was a big change that makes and me then- really sad to listen to <laughs> yeah, I'm sympathizing know- for 14 year old you right now Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, it, it is, it was, it was really hard and I still actually, um, like think about it today and I, and I, mm-hmm. it makes me sad and I've, you know, I've dealt with it in therapy, yeah. but yeah, it, it's a, it can be a very traumatic thing to happen to a young girl is to all of a sudden, where are your friends? Like what happened? Like you yeah. were a social butterfly and then it's like, gone well it's just so hard because I feel like when you're going through things like mental illness that's when you need the support the most but oftentimes we don't know what's happening ourselves and then other people around us don't know what's happening so usually the opposite happens and then it's kind of isolated a little bit but on the topic of therapy have you found success with that because I know that I see a psychotherapist myself and she's pretty great yeah I I've seen quite a few different uh therapists or counselors over the years And when I was in high school, I had a really amazing school counselor and I was very grateful for her. I've had, you know, some good and bad experiences. (laughs) You know, I've, I've had, I have a one, there was one counselor who wasn't the best, but um, the counselor I have now, she's amazing. And I've been seeing her for about a year and I really, I suggest it for like everyone. Like I think everyone. I, I feel like I do too. Like everybody, I feel like sometimes it's not going to be your thing, but I feel like that's the thing I recommend the most. Definitely. Especially because there's so many different types of, of counseling services. Like people mm-hmm. have different specialties. There's like CBT, there's DBT, there's, you know, more talk therapy. Um, there's so many different options. And, and, but having somebody who is a, there to support you, 
who is outside of your friend group, outside of your support system that you have, like outside of your circle is so helpful because well, basically you can tell them everything and you know, they're, it's a non-judgmental space. So. I like that too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, on that topic a little bit, have there been anything through the years? I know that you're only 23, but have you experienced a, any negative stigmas towards bipolar? I feel like it's one of those diagnoses that a lot of people just don't know about. Yes. So yeah, I have experienced stigma. Um, I mean, one of the times when I experienced stigma was that time in when I was in high school going through that mm-hmm. because people noticed my different behavior, uh, but it wasn't. Were they aware of your diagnosis or were they just like noticing your behavior? So I didn't even know my diagnosis. Okay. Yeah. You did mention that. Okay. Well, yeah. So um, nobody know, knew what was going on. Okay. They, they just noticed that I was, you know, I wasn't my usual self. I was just mm-hmm. kind of yeah, different. And um, so in, in a way that, that that was stigma and in mm-hmm. high school, like we didn't learn about mental health, right? So they also didn't, yes. <laughs> they didn't know uh, anything about it just as much as like, I didn't really know anything about it. Other than that, I, I have been actually pretty lucky that I haven't experienced too much explicit stigma. Yeah. Um, because I know that a lot of people face stigma in the workplace and in friendships and relationships, but I, I've just become very picky. I've been very picky about choosing places to work that are, I know that are cool environments. I like that. Yeah. And, and friends, like I'm, I'm picky about friends. Like I, I, I only welcome people into my circle. I feel the same way. Yeah, I feel like I have a lot of acquaintances too, but I feel like I have like, like three people that I'm like close and I want to like put my trust into. But I find that interesting too, that like you say that you've been lucky with that. And I feel like a big part of that is because like when you look at you, um, how am I going to phrase this? Like I was at work, I was at work the other day and I was talking to uh, one of my patients and she was just like, you don't look mentally ill. And I was like, well, what does mental illness look like? And I just feel like if somebody finds out that you're bipolar after meeting you, then that would kind of take away a lot of that stigma already, if that makes sense. Because then they'd already have a positive outlook on who you are as a person. Yeah, that's actually definitely what I've experienced. Because if I'm going to disclose my illness, yeah. it's usually after somebody gets to know me, after they whether if, if it's for a job interview, it's after they've hired me and, and they yeah. see I'm a good worker with a friend. It's like been hanging out with me for a long time. And so they, they can see that, oh, it's, I'm just, I'm a person and I mm-hmm. have illness, but that doesn't make me um, like other like stigmas that exist about bipolar disorder or that like they're dangerous or they can't hold down a job or yeah. Um, yeah, other other negative portrayals exist as well, but but I think that yeah, when you're just your authentic self, it can start to help break down that stigma, and I think that that's a really good way to do it in in people's daily lives. I feel like it's really important that you mentioned that with stigma, a lot of people would assume that someone who's diagnosed with with bipolar would be dangerous because 
it's good to talk about this because if there's any young girls that are listening or people that have had recent diagnoses, then they'll see that it doesn't have to be some dark, gloomy diagnosis, right? It can just be something you coexist with and be successful with and still feel happy. Exactly. Exactly. Would you have any advice for any young girls or boys or anybody uh, going through this? Yeah, I think my advice would be that it is really hard at first. You know, you can't sugarcoat it, uh, especially when diagnosed. It's it's you go through really hard stuff. And but the but the great news is, is that what I have experienced is all those hard times I went through, you know, it's made me who I am and it's made me stronger. And um, when you show up and you are your true self, right, and you you allow yourself to take up space, um, you know, yeah, you might experience stigma, especially if you tell people about your diagnosis. But what I have really learned is that those people who are going to stigmatize you and judge you, are they really worth your time? You know, That's are they true. Really, yeah, like, are they really worth, uh, like, getting upset over because it's not your problem, right? It, it's, it's them who has to work through that stigma, that bias that they have, that they've developed, which isn't always their fault because there's portrayals in the media yeah. and, and in movies and stuff like that, um, that get kind of instilled. In well, that's book. why we work to do podcasts like this, right? Just kind of break the stigma. And we exactly. both run accounts for this. You, I know that you run your blog and I enjoy that a lot. I think we talked a lot about a lot of good things. Um, I want to hear a little bit more about your blog now. Uh, most of your goals with it, your goals with your account. Um, again, that's at Blossoming with Bipolar. So if you could tell me a little bit about that. Yes, for sure. So yeah, I have a, an Instagram account that's at Blossoming with Bipolar. And then the website is blossomingwithbipolar.com. I, I started the blog last February. So it was kind of right before everything shut down for COVID. And I, I was still in the middle of a really deep depression and it was a way, it was like something to focus on that was positive. And it was something that was very therapeutic for me. You know, it started off by building the website and making it pretty. That was something that, you know, it could bring me some sort of joy that I was looking for. But I've also like, I've always enjoyed writing. And um, I just feel like I have so many thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) thoughts I've been through so many different things. And I just, I just want to write them down, right? I just want to share uh, with other people. And I really wanted to connect with other people about mental health. I, I do have people in my life who have mental health challenges, but not to the same extent. And I, I just really wanted to have a community that, you know, really understood mental illness and, and like what yeah. that entails on taking care of yourself. So, so yeah, I, I write in the blog basically whenever... I feel inspired too. I don't do it on a super, super regular basis. 
And well, I uh, think that's really good because if there's anybody struggling out there, that's kind of a community that they can go to and be like, hey, this girl has been through this stuff already. Like she's got her diagnosis. She's already been through that. You talk a lot about shame on your account, which is really good and accepting your mental illness itself. Yeah, yeah. So I, I really talk about just whatever is on my heart at that time. Um, and shame is actually a topic that I'm very, very interested in. If you are also interested in shame, any book by Brene Brown is like, I, I love her. (laughs) She's so good. And like my mom, actually, there's one day I woke up with health anxiety. I threw my neck out and I woke up and I was like, mom, I'm dying. Like my neck is like detached from my body. And she's like, no, it's not. And I'm like, mom, like I'm certain. And I literally just sat there in bed all day because I like couldn't move my neck, but it was just sore, but I was just sitting there and she used the opportunity to put Brene Brown. Is that her name? Yeah. Renee, Renee, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And she put it on the TV in front of me. I was like, wow, this girl's got like knowledge. And I was leaving like all inspired. Yeah. She's no, good. <laughs> I've, I've read, um, a lot of her books and yeah the topic of shame interests me because well you know I've experienced a lot of shame to do with my mental illness and everything that happened when I was undiagnosed um and I know how just toxic shame can be shame isn't Mm -hmm. like guilt guilt can be a motivator guilt can be positive it can fuel learning but shame is uh, believing that you're unworthy because of yeah. something you have or something that you've done. And it's never helpful. Shame is never mm-hmm. um, positive. And- I definitely go through that a lot in my therapy appointments. Like I'll talk about something and she'll be like, that sounds like shame. And I'm like, yeah. can I just like speak? And I'll say something else. And she's like, that sounds like shame. And I'm like, okay, but like, hear me out. And she's like, no shame. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that's an interesting way to approach it. It's a current one I'm going through. And that's why when we were, so Maddie actually interviewed me on a few questions for her blog. And we talked a lot about shame on that. I'm not sure what she chose in her blog yet. But we did a lot of questions like that. And she asked me about that. And I was like, I don't know how to answer this. (laughs) Just because it's not something that I'm fully through yet. But she's got a lot of great knowledge about that on her website there. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've definitely, I've started to work through it, right? It's, it's, it's something that it's I, a I, lot. It's a big topic. It is. It's, Sometimes it's, I feel like it's like a lifelong thing, especially because I feel like living with a mental illness, it can constantly change for yourself, right? Definitely. Or with me anyway. Yes, for sure. Like sometimes I'll feel like I'm through something and then like I'll start a new job, for example, with change, like we talked about before. And then it just like pops right back up again. Yeah. And then shame is, is it's a, it's an emotion, but it's really a feeling, you know, you can yeah. feel it in your body. Like I know how, how it feels yeah. and it, it's, it's debilitating, right? It's paralyzing. It, it, it affects everything. And, and, and it so- never helps because it's like that extra thing that's on top of something that's already hard. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and yeah, Brene Brown just explains it so well, just about all the different shame triggers and all the things that, um, you know, lead to shame in, in people's lives. And it's, um, it's, re- it's really important to talk about it, like whether it's mm-hmm. with your or 
or with your friends or with your community, um, talking about it, saying it out loud gives it less power because when it's- That's um, true. I agree with that a lot. Yeah. Like when it, when you keep it to yourself and you, you um, keep it in silence, it just builds and builds. Um, But once you get it out and you can put it into words, it, it really, really helps. That's what I've learned. I like that. Um, I think that mostly concludes this podcast. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to say? Any advice to anybody? Well, first, just like to say thank (laughs) you so much for having me on this podcast. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Mm -hmm. And um, advice to anybody out there would just be that when you are struggling and when you feel like there is no hope, um, the best thing to focus on is um, whatever lights your soul on fire, whatever brings you joy, whether it's logging or drawing or exercise or anything. And that can very often pull you out of, of some things that you're going through. And ultimately, you can live a fulfilling and a successful and beautiful life, even if you have a mental illness. I like that. That's very nice. <laughs> um, so before I go, if you want to listen to this podcast, you can just go to the link in either mine or at Blossoming with Bipolar's link in our bios. Um, I have a link tree in my bio, which connects it to Spotify and Apple right now. And I'll be posting a sneak peek on Instagram as well. And if you're interested in Maddie's blog, it's going to be at Blossoming with Bipolar. So thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you.